This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Monica. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Well, Monica, gravity is working against me, and gravity wants to bring me down. Oh, I'll never know what makes this man with all the love that his heart can stand (laughs) dream of ways to throw it all away. Are you trying to serenade me? No, I'm trying to <laughs> to just let you know what's in my mind and what's on my heart. I was like, that's Craig's job. <laughs> that's taken. <laughs> this is part two of episode number 67 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Gravity. So if you're looking for part one, you are listening to the wrong file. Go away. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, basically this is the program on Film Geek Radio focused on in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or at least after you've seen the film. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled on what happens in Alfonso Cuadron's Gravity, stop listening now and go check out part one of this episode. I'm just going to assume if you're listening that you've already seen the film, uh, and I'm not going to bother explaining what it's about. Before we dive into things, here's a clip. Specialist Ryan Stone, I am off structure and I'm drifting. Do you copy? Anyone? Okay, Monica. In part one, I got the impression that we both really liked gravity. You mentioned that you had a few problems with it, though. Do you want to elaborate? Yeah. So, in terms of the story, after a while, it just seemed like a series of unfortunate events. Everything that could go wrong did throughout the entire film. Like, poor girl could not get a break to save her life. It just seemed a little too much. And I know it's for the intensity, but it's kind of like that thing where if you have the intensity ramped up to 11, it's just like a tad too much. I know it goes to 11, but why don't you just make it 10? (laughs) I can understand what you're saying, Monica, but I got to tell you, it it really works for me. Maybe because my nerves were shot by the end of this movie and I was like shaking. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. This was one of the moves where I couldn't figure out how it was going to end. Yeah. And... It it opens up the very first shot. It brings the text up on the screen that says, you know, some facts about space and how dangerous it is. And then the last sentence is something like, life cannot survive in space or it is impossible to survive in space or something. And there have been some critics that have complained, oh, that wasn't necessary. That was redundant. You didn't need to let us know that you can't survive in space. We know that. They forgot to add you can't scream in space, right? Yeah. (laughs) No one can hear you scream. Here's the thing, though, Monica. I think that that worked because right away, it just sets you up for bad things are about to happen and people might not make it out alive. And I spent pretty much the entire film not knowing whether Sandra Bullock was going to make it. And I had this 
fear in the back of my mind that we were going to follow her through all of these obstacles and that at the very end, she still wasn't going to make it and that it was going to be this really depressing existential movie about how nothing can survive in space. That would not fly in American audiences for American audiences. Yeah, I could totally see Cuadron going for something like that, though. And I just yeah. it, it would have been a pretty interesting movie, and it would have been interesting to see the response if, after following Sandra Bullock for 90 minutes as she went through hell, she still didn't make it out alive. That's why it works for me overall, because I spent most of the movie just going... I do not know if she's going to live or not. I don't know what this director is going to give me. He he could go either way. I guess that's good. I mean, it's definitely good that you don't know how this movie's going to end, but it just felt almost too artificial, like trying to wring out too much emotion from its audience. Well, what did you think? Well, especially, okay, so the one that, that finally, I mean, this is at the very end, but when she finally lands, the little hatch pops off. And she's about to, like, start getting out, and the water rushes in and pushes her back. I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, man. That would have been... No. Are you kidding me? She's going to drown now? That would have been amazing if that was the ending of the film. Like, she ends up at the bottom of this lake or something within, like, 20 seconds. And then she can't swim up because her suit is so heavy. I was just sitting there <sighs> thinking, oh, my God, she's going to drown. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> And this is when I find out that Andrew is a sadistic bastard. I was just thinking, oh my god, I don't know how this audience is going to react if she drowns right now. It'd be a lot more popcorn to pick up after those screenings. Damn it! We mentioned in part one that the, the characters in this movie are a little bit flat, and the themes are pretty basic, but I want to talk about some of them a little bit. Really, there's one main arc in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's Sandra Bullock's character, Ryan Stone, going from being traumatized by the death of her daughter to mm-hmm. learning to accept it and move on with her life. And the entire movie is basically a metaphor for her coming to grips with her daughter's death. Mm-hmm. Did that work for you? It did. I accepted it. I guess it hits the right buttons or so. Like, oh, it's such a terrible thing. And then she has to get over that. And it's a really short, simple story that we all understand. Loss. Got it. Okay, moving on. It's not like a complicated, you know, I had to struggle for this and that and the other. I'll never go hungry again. Long story. It's just that. Fills you in real quick. Death of a daughter. Ouch. Okay. Right. It's not very subtle. Like, there's a scene where she and George Clooney are slowly making their way to the shuttle. Uh And they just start talking, and she's running low on oxygen, and he's trying to get her to calm down. And somehow the conversation just basically turns to her life, and she is just pretty open and forthright about the fact that, oh, yeah, I had a daughter. My daughter died. Well, to, to be fair, you know, chances are they might die. This is the last person she'll tell, you know, that sort of thing. I guess that's true. I bought that. And, you know, then his story is about, you know, this one time in New Orleans kind of seemed super frivolous in comparison to, oh, damn, like she's really gone through something. Right. When you think about it, I mean, I suppose you could read the entire movie as an allegory for a relationship or for her dealing with her daughter. And she has to conquer the limitless darkness of loss and sadness. Well, right. Right. And I mean, okay, so it's about her and George Clooney. It's about a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. The spacesuits help keep them apart. I will give I will give him that. 
It's not doesn't turn into a silly romantic thing. Well, right, but there's some there's some obvious symbolism here where like their tethers are acting like umbilical cords. That one moment where she's kind of fetus like against the window. Yes, there's a moment where she that well that's a that's a whole different discussion I want to touch on a little yeah. bit. But but there's this whole thing where like they're both tethered to this shuttle and then that gets destroyed. So they are tethered to each other, and then ultimately he leaves, and he goes off by himself, unfortunately. And I, I suppose if you wanted, if you wanted to really analyze it, you could be like, well, actually, none of this is really happening. This is all just symbolic of a relationship and, and her losing her child and ultimately her lover and coming to grips with it. I got the impression that she was more of like a single parent. Or at least she doesn't mention him, so it do- she doesn't say, like, at uh, what point does he leave? Like, it could have been just like, hey, I'm pregnant. Okay, bye. And that was a loss that happened pr- before she lost the baby, so. Right. But I like how George Clooney is basically there just to be some sort of male presence and then ultimately to leave. And, 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 for- and, and she's stuck there on her own because that's kind of what happened to her already in life. I guess it made more logical sense for me since how many more male astronauts are there than female astronauts. So the odds of him being male are pretty high. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. But getting back to what you mentioned about the shot where she looks like a fetus, there's definitely a lot of little nods to that idea of being reborn where she makes it back to the shuttle and for a few minutes, she just kind of collapses and is just curled up in a fetal position, floating. And later on, the movie ends with her basically being born, coming out of the, 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 the water and then having to take her first steps back on Earth and, and reacclimate to Earth's yep. gravity. And she can't. And that is actually the last shot is of her feet as she's like struggling to take her first steps and it's it's definitely this whole idea of being reborn learning to walk again and and the ending was really fascinating to me because it also just gets at these larger themes about life and the formation of life and just going back to like evolution and how we came from the water and we learned to crawl our way up on the land and then take our first steps there's a lot of interesting subtext in those final moments i think Along with that, a lot of people were also looking to the religious iconography that cropped up towards the end, sort of as her reaffirmation of faith. What do you mean? You mean the fact that George Clooney could be interpreted either as a hallucination or as an angel? Not sure if it was so much George Clooney, but it was, she she's never prayed before, and this is, you know, the first time that she prays, like, Please let me make it back down to Earth. And each one of the space stations, I lo- I saw it more as a cultural marker. The fact that the Russian and the Chinese uh, space stations both had on their dashboard a little god figure. Um, the Russians had, I think, a card of a saint. And then the Chinese had a statue of Buddha. Oh, I don't think I noticed the one in the in the Russian yeah. space shuttle. I did notice the Buddha. Yeah. And then, well, that was the thing is that she sat down in the escape pod and each, the Russian one had the card up and then the the Chinese one had a little statue of Buddha. I originally thought of it as a cultural marker, like, oh, these are different space stations. A few other critics had taken up um, issue with the whole crop of religious iconography that had come up and it's like, oh man, he turned really religious in the last half. 
especially with her praying and then all the fact that these deities show up. I didn't have a problem with it because, again, the movie is about enlightenment or, or a form of enlightenment enlightenment it's about her coming to grips with this loss in her life and coming to this epiphany and and, and realizing that she needs to move on so if you if you want to supplement that with some religious symbolism or or spiritual undertones that's totally fine with me and again it's i mean i can understand the complaint that it's not subtle because nothing in this movie is very subtle i don't think kudong aims for subtlety right And, and and overall I, and we've talked about this before, Monica, I tend to be willing to go with a little bit of heavy handedness. That's, that's fine with me. I'm fine if a movie wants to, to let me know pretty clearly that it's trying to be about something just because I'm usually so happy that a movie is actually trying to be about something <laughs> deeper that, 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 you know, I, I, I tend not to care if it's a little bit on the nose. I do like it when there's like, there's no mistake on what the filmmaker wants to say, but at the same time, I'm a big fan of show, don't tell. Let me figure it out. And if you aren't able to convey that in the images that you're putting on screen, then maybe you should go back to the drawing board. Right. And I I think Cuaron here, he made it pretty easy to figure out with his imagery. I was fine Mm -hmm. with that. So yeah, it's definitely not a subtle movie, but it worked for me overall. Mm -hmm. Getting back to the idea of these different space stations and these different governments, I thought that was interesting that the whole thing basically starts because of the Russians. It's all the Russians' fault, Monica. I know. It's an 80s throwback, ain't it? (laughs) If only the Russians hadn't been testing out this anti-satellite missile program or whatever, everyone would have survived and it would have been okay. Putin! (laughs) But it's a good thing the Chinese are around, though. Yeah, they just happen to throw up a space station. Who knew? <laughs> oh, I guess the International Space Station was gone pretty early on. <laughs> what was really interesting to me is that, um, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about space stations and, and how they work, but I thought it was fascinating that Sandra Bullock and George Clooney and their team were pretty much the only people in space at this point no, in time. Uh, no, because they said the, um, the International Space Station people had abandoned it. They launched the first pod. So the second one had oh, hadn't been able to be okay. launched, so that's why like the the shoot was out, but then they abandoned it. Okay, okay. Because there's always there's always a camp from some country or, or another that is occupying the International Space Station. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that there weren't any other people up there that they could communicate and with. The, well, the other thing was with all the satellites being gone, you can't do radio communication. Right. So there, there were a few technical things that lined up. A, a few other ones that kind of I need to check the books on. When the George Clooney came in through the chute, I was like, oh, no, you can't do that. She has the vision of him. That's physically not possible. <laughs> she would have died. Right. And that should have been the first sign that he was not yeah. real. The fact that she was still alive after that. I was like, wait a minute. Didn't we just see the other guys that were floating around dead before? Right. Like, I'm pretty sure he just sucked out your oxygen and you're frozen. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting that, like, there weren't any, we didn't get any sense that the Chinese had been there on their space station recently. I don't know if they had an escape pod before. Right. I just thought that was interesting that there was no way outside of the satellites for them to communicate. No sort of other frequency or anything like that. No, because that had always worked. I was just thinking, man, you'd think that the international community would get together and figure out some backup plan just in case uh, satellites were ever down. It's not like they're connected to Wi-Fi out there. Like... (laughs) 
Speaking of the scene where George Clooney visits her as a vision or whatever, what did you think of that moment when she she's basically trying to kill herself and she's drifting off, she's losing consciousness, and she's listening to what sounds like a Chinese telephone call? Yeah, that was the thing that I, I did talk to my boyfriend who I went with to the movie. He was kind of like, why is there just a guy on the radio talking and... There are people who are ham radio enthusiasts and they can get really high frequencies or really like long distance frequencies. So I'm not exactly sure if it would get that far, but it is a possibility in theory. But I thought that was just very touching. She was just like looking for that last ounce of humanity after being distanced and stranded for so long. And it really looks like the end. Like there's no way she can get out and fix this. So I thought that was actually a pretty moving scene. But then when George Clooney came in, I kind of got freaked out because everything had seemed so logical up until then. Like, everything was accounted for scientifically. And then all of a sudden, she would have just died. What happened? What? Why is this? I don't understand. Right. At first, I was thinking, oh, no, George Clooney didn't realize she was in there and he came in. And killed her. (laughs) Yeah, now he's going to sit down and realize that he killed her. (laughs) I was thinking that was how the movie was going to end. And I was like, oh, man. Ballsy move, Quadron. Ballsy move. <laughs> Man, you were just waiting for a bullock to die. <laughs> well, no, okay. Well, well here's That's what the thing. sound like. Well, here's the thing. I didn't know because, okay, like th- that scene where she's listening to this, this Chinese guy on the radio, it's a really great scene because she's listening to him and she hears the baby. Mm-hmm. And the way Sandra Bullock performs this scene, you can tell that she is kind of inspired and she likes the fact that she hears this baby and it's the sign that life is going to go on. But you can tell that it also is a little bit traumatic for her just because she's thinking back to her own child and what happened to, to her daughter. I don't know. I just felt like there was this this real sense of existential dread hanging over that scene. Just that idea of, yes, there's new life coming to the world. But all life eventually dies. Mm. And here Sandra Bullock is probably going to die. George Clooney died. Her daughter died. Is this moment with this with this child that she's hearing on the radio, is that really inspiring? Or is it just another reminder that we're all mortal and we're all going to die one day? So maybe this child's life is actually kind of meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Whoa. <laughs> Sad Andrew, man. <laughs> That's kind of what I took away from the scene, though, just because it was so ambiguous at times. And it just seemed like there were so many different emotions. Yeah, no, it's definitely for the feels, but I don't think it was for the existential crisis that you're pulling up. Going along with the themes that you said of rebirth, there's an indication that life goes on. Right. But at the time, before I knew how it was going to end, and I wasn't sure, like, okay, is Cuadron going to end this with her surviving? Or is she just ultimately going to die? And are all of her efforts going to be meaningless? Mm -hmm. I was just in that moment thinking, oh, man, I don't know what to make of this scene. And it could go either way. It could be viewed either as a sta- as an encouraging statement about how life goes on, or it could just be viewed as a as a scene about how life is ultimately meaningless and this baby's life, uh, it's, it's ultimately going to end one way or another. So I, I just thought that that scene was, was really well done. Fair. Yeah, that scene was. I was thrown by George Clooney, which is not a statement I get to say often. In terms of Sandra Bullock's character, Ryan Stone, I mean, again, okay, her last name is Stone. It's called Gravity. This isn't exactly subtle here. <laughs> Dirty dirt. <laughs> 
it's weird because she spends the first half of the movie uh, just completely panicking. Yeah. And it doesn't make her very likable. And I was just thinking, why would NASA hire someone who can't keep her crap together? You go through something like that and you get back to me how <laughs> you handle hey, the situation. <laughs> hey, I was willing to go along with it. And like I said... She's also... I think she says that this is her first like spacewalk. Well, right. And and that's why it. I was willing to go with it ultimately just because she's a rookie. Also, the whole thing is meant to be a metaphor just for her confusion after the death of her child. So, okay, I'm willing to go with it. It's about a woman... Totally freaking out, not knowing what to do, and then gradually learning to move on with her life. I liked that part. I liked how, ultimately, she doesn't give up, and she we see that, no, she is smart. She does know what she has to do. It's just a matter of emotionally coming to grips with that and, and, and gathering up the courage to do it. I don't think it's so much gathering up the courage. It's just, like, calming down enough to get grounded. And being able to figure, like, the whole, she didn't know how to operate this manuals or whatever, and she had just kind of thrown her hands up. And then her hallucination of George Clooney comes over and tells her, you should just check the manuals. It's, like, basically the same. So she opens up the manuals, and even though they're in a foreign language, they have the pictures next to them, and that, that's what she can follow along with. But panicking, she would have never thought to look at the books. Right. And also, there's a moment, I believe it's on the Chinese space station, mm-hmm. or she's trying to get there. I can't remember. But there's a moment where she grabs the fire extinguisher. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, that was smart. And the and ha- the way she uses that to propel herself. Yeah, going to the Chinese station was, on the, was with the fire extinguisher. Right, because there's a moment where she doesn't bring it. And then it's almost like she remembers, oh, yeah, I can use that. And she grabs it. Yeah. And I thought that was a really great moment where you see her starting to really figure out what she needs to do and what's going to help right. her survive. And that was a cool scene just with her and the fire extinguisher out in space. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that looks like fun. None of this is fun. I mean, other than the whole thing that she could die if she doesn't do it just right. It's like all of telecommunications is out. Fun? Guys, fun? <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, man. There were so many scenes of her just, like, scraping along the surface oh. of the shuttle or the space station and, like, frantically reaching for things to grab. A friend of mine had tweeted, like, just grab the rope, woman. <laughs> right, and every time she would, there, there would be a, a little fake out where she would, like, grab onto something but then not be able to hold on. <laughs> and I was, it oh, was man. just, like, killing me every time where I was like, no, 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 grab on, grab on. And there's that one shot where she is, like, scraping alongside the station or something and she goes to the very very end before she grabs on and it's like the last little uh, rung yeah that she grabs onto before she would be floating out in one space of them, forever it's just her foot got caught <laughs> oh yeah oh, with, with george, george yeah. with george clooney yeah oh man i was just like you've got to be kidding me come on Quadron. you're going too far this is too intense take it up to 11 why don't you just make it 10 <laughs> oh and also every time they she opened the airlock it would just like slam yeah. open i was like oh come on i don't know if that's the physics for that though can't say I've seen it in action. I was just thinking, if she makes it this far and then ultimately can't hold on to the airlock. I just come out of the movie theater with tears. <laughs> Everything is terrible. I just saw a Bergman film. <laughs> that was like my main worry throughout the entire movie. I was just thinking, some little thing is going to happen. 
and all of her efforts are going to be for nothing. There's going to be one little mistake that she makes. I got way freaked out by the fire on the space station. Oh, that was so cool. I didn't know. (laughs) I'm already freaked out because we're in space and everything is far and you can fall forever. Now we're going to put you in a tiny little spot and set it ablaze because it's higher oxygen content than normal Earth atmosphere. Have fun. <laughs> oh, man, that really works for me. And, and yeah, it's all CG and it looks a little bit fake. But in 3D, just having the fire, fire at you. all around. Yeah. Right. And having the, like the little embers floating. Mm hmm. Weightless in, in 3D. Oh man, it looked it was was so cool. But I will say it didn't. It, it never felt to me like Quaron was overdoing it. It never felt like it was meant to be gimmicky. No, he had a he definitely paced himself in in terms of that. Yeah. He always knew just when to use it. He was going overboard on the intensity. <laughs> he was never just like I'm going to throw stuff, throw stuff, throw stuff. It was always like it's going to be a little thing, like maybe a little bolt is going to come flying at the screen, or a little little a few little fire embers. Yeah. Nothing too over the top. All right. Is there anything else you want to say about Alfonso Cuaron's gravity? No, I'm good. I don't have a whole lot I want to say either. I mean, it's it's a good film. Like I said, I, I was curious to see it without the 3D, but I'm not in any rush to put myself through that again. I would totally go see this movie again if I could see it on a big screen. Yeah. It, it's just that visually spectacular. Definitely worth it on the big screen. I don't think you're going to get the same effect if you watch it on your six-inch iPad mini. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. All right. Well, that leads me to our final segment of the show. Reboot this. This is the part of the program where we pitch either a prequel, sequel, or remake to the movie we just discussed because Hollywood is obsessed with making money and turning everything they can into a franchise. And I'm sure that right now, because Gravity is doing okay at the box office, I'm sure that there are conversations being had about whether or not they can make a sequel to Gravity. And if so, what it would be. So, Monica, if Hollywood came to you and said Alfonso Cuaron was going to go off and do another original film because he's actually a talented, respected filmmaker. (laughs) He's an artist. He's not going to get stuck in the Hollywood uh, studio sequel system. But uh, if Hollywood came and said, well, you're in charge now, Monica, you can do whatever you want with this Gravity franchise. Make it a franchise. Ew. Would you do a prequel, sequel, or remake? And what would it be like? I liked it too much. Um, I guess I can't cop out and say that I would not touch it. But if I must change something, perhaps I'd do a remake. And I don't know who I'd star in it. It might be interesting uh, to play around with. Maybe even an international cast, since we are dealing with different space stations. Um, Maybe we can find out the story of the people on the International Space Station. Where did the cosmonauts go? And the Chinese station as a possibility. You're going to remake Alfonso Cuaron's work? No, I'm just going to explore another one of the space stations. We got options here. I'm thinking international markets... If we're if we're gonna if I'm gonna pitch this to Hollywood, so you're gonna do like a spinoff? Yeah. So it's gonna focus on the International Space Station, or one of the other. Isn't that gonna be kind of boring though? It's just gonna be like, oh, there's debris coming. Guess we should evacuate. The end. It could still be pretty tense. Okay. They're leaving just as the debris is about to hit. It might damage their ship. They don't know if they'll blow, entering the Earth's atmosphere. I guess so. Or or maybe you could. Started off kind of like how gravity ended, 
with them crashing in the middle of nowhere, and then it's a tale of survival <laughs> in the wilderness, and it's the crew of the International Space Station, and they're trying to figure out, okay, one of our crew members has a broken leg, <laughs> do we leave him behind? Who who are we going to eat first? You know, questions like that. Is that how you'd remake it, or how you'd do it? What's your What's your take? Okay, here's what I want, Monica. I want a sequel or a spinoff movie to Gravity. I want it to be focused entirely on George Clooney. Do you want to see his New Orleans story? No, that is not what I want. <laughs> I want 90 minutes of George Clooney spinning in space, <laughs> coming to grips with his mortality and the fact that he is about to die. By himself. Okay? That is all I want. That uh, All I want is him alone with his thoughts Maybe you could have a few flashbacks to his time on Earth in New Orleans or whatever. That's so sad. He's just like talking to himself and telling him his own stories. But yeah, it's just like <laughs> it is. It's it's like a quiet movie. It's in his mind. Maybe he's listening to his music. And maybe at the end, you find out it was all a dream. Oh no, no! <laughs> it has to all be real. It has to be about one man coming to grips with death. Okay, and it'll just be him floating in space, and you've got earth right there next to him and it looks really pretty and it's beautiful and it's inspiring yeah it's about it's it's juggling those two emotions those 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 conflicting ideas of oh this is really beautiful i guess if you have to go out this is the best way this is this is not a bad way to to die Uh, but also uh, it kind of sucks that i'm about to die yeah (laughs) and this is the end of everything so yeah i that's what i want to see i think that would be really incredible if you could get an expensive movie made that's just about one man floating in space for 90 minutes coming to grips with his own mortality you sound depressed yeah it's pretty harsh (laughs) (laughs) that's cold man that's cold no it'll be really deep and profound It'll be life-affirming. Oh, he dies at the end. It'll make you appreciate the time that you have alive here on Earth. Actually, that could just be a short and the bonus features. I mean, like I said, that's kind of where I thought gravity was headed most of the time. I kind of thought it was going to be like, oh, Sandra Bullock's going to die, and this is going to be a reminder that you should appreciate life while you can, because at any moment, one little thing could happen that just kills you. Cool story, bro. I mean, I guess they can't really call the sequel Gravity because there is no gravity with George Clooney's character. He's just yeah. floating. So I, I don't know what they would call it. Falling. Falling. There you go. Yes. Nice and short for the marquee. Done. Falling. The sequel to Gravity, all about Kowalski. I like it. Okay. Well, that'll wrap it up for part two of our episode on Gravity. Don't forget to tune in next week when we will be discussing Captain Phillips the new film directed by Paul Greengrass, starring Tom Hanks. We would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. And you can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. Don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and our two new podcasts, The Briefing Room, which is all about the third season of Homeland, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast, which is all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online on Twitter and Tumblr at mcastymovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my reviews reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com. You can find some of my writing at patheos.com and moviemezzanine.com. 
You can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message, let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema. And just keep me where the light is. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!